actually have to make sure you're looking at the road and not at the screen because of all of the possibilities we have with it. Hey podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. The weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 89 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about looking at the road. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And yes, a very quick review to get us underway today. Well, I say quick, but it's quite long, so bear with me for a moment. I am relatively new to cycling, two years young, and I have the bug bad. I am hitting an average 250 kilometers a week, and now it's starting to get some structure thanks to you. I only discovered your podcast about three weeks ago and have listened to a big chunk of those, getting them in on my commute to work. I love the content and find it really valuable information. I have started implementing a lot of the strategies you talk about with habits and structuring my training and have decided to hit the road racing circuit this winter, ready for the crit circuit next summer. My Tuesday is filled when I know I can listen to your antics on the way home. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much for writing that review. It's epic and I love it. And definitely a reminder to you that if you do love the show, please take some time out to write a review on iTunes or Stitcher because five stars makes me... Thank you very much. Now, two great articles from the interwebs this week. Number one, a study from the Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise Journal. More mouthfuls to come, though. It's called Post-Exercise Cold Water Immersion Benefits Are Not Greater Than the Placebo Effect. It's only recently published, and it is very interesting if you have done any type of cold water immersion, which is basically jumping in some cold water, whether it is with ice or just super freezing cold water if you live in a cold region. But this study went out to show that because there is a general lack of understanding the underlying mechanisms of cold water immersion, Lots of athletes are using it without really it being science-based beforehand. So this study examines the psychological merit of cold water immersion for recovery from high-intensity exercise by investigating if the placebo effect is responsible for an acute performance or psychological benefits. There were 30 males tested in this, and they did a high-intensity training session, which comprised of four by 30-second sprints, immediately followed by one of 15-minute recovery conditions. And there were three of these recovery conditions. There was the cold water immersion, there was thermoneutral water immersion, placebo, and then there was thermoneutral water immersion control. And they actually tested the muscular response by sticking in an an intramuscular thermistor. I don't know what that is, but that sounds gnarly. Obviously, they're going right to the source when they're trying to get the actual effects that it's doing. And they were trying to record muscle temperature, swelling, pain tolerance, and a whole other bunch of factors that were recorded at baseline, post-exercise, and post-recovery, 1, 24, and 48 hours post-exercise. They also tested leg strength, which was interesting, a maximal voluntary isometric contraction of the quadriceps 
at the same time points with the exception of post-exercise. And self-assessments of readiness for exercise fatigue, vigour, sleeplessness, pain and belief of recovery effectiveness were also completed because this was one of the main areas they were testing. So what were the results? Leg strength following the MVC, the Maximal Voluntary Isometric Contraction, and ratings of readiness for exercise, pain and vigour were significantly impaired by the thermoneutral water immersion compared with the cold water immersion and the thermoneutral water immersion placebo, which were similar to each other. So their conclusion here was that a recovery placebo administered after an acute high-intensity session is superior in the recovery of muscular strength over 48 hours as compared to thermoneutral water immersion and as effective as cold water immersion which they attribute this to to the improved ratings of readiness for exercise, pain and vigour, and suggesting that the commonly hypothesised physiological benefits surrounding cold water immersion are at least partially placebo-related. So really what it's saying in my mind then is that it is all in your mind, which means it's all bullshit, but... If you think that it's working, definitely stick with it. And the second snippet of information that I got from the interwebs this week is key elements for success at British Cycling. Just a bit of a promo video where they just do a talking head. But it is interesting in what he pulls out. And this definitely is someone that is not in the public eye when it comes to British Cycling. And he doesn't really get out and talk about his ways a lot. He's very private. I have seen a piece done on him a while back, but he doesn't come out very often and talk about his actual approach to any training or how he approaches and deals with athletes and things. But the three areas that he identified as the key elements are leadership, so Brailsford's role in British cycling and its success, coaching, he puts a lot of emphasis on coaching and the money that they get funded goes into buying experts from around the world and then they are the ones surrounding the athletes that make the change. So it's the people that really make the change and he really believes this is British cycling's time. Not only do they have access to athletes that are amazing, these athletes are performing at a high level consistently and overall it will be a testament after their failure at this year's World Track Championships to see where Froome sits and if he can back up his Tour de France win. Alrighty then, the nuts and bolts this week, an introduction to power-based training. Really, I just wanted to go through the step-by-step process that you should take as soon as you get your hands on a power meter. Once you have it there, you have it on the bike, and you're ready to go, what the hell do you do with it? So I'm not going to tell you why you need a power meter because I'm assuming that it's ready to go and you've made the decision. But this episode is useful for those that are curious about power, those that are sitting on the fence about buying one, but even those people that have no plan of getting one in the future, there are some principles in here that you can take across definitely to your training and apply them with similar results, but really there is nothing like the metric of power when it comes to bike training. But don't let me harp on about this for too long. Once everything is set up and you have your power meter calibrated, you understand how to use the computer and get some of the numbers out of it, you understand how to download it onto a computer, what do you do? The next move that you need to make 
is to understand how to use this thing to improve your cycling, or simply put, how to make you faster. And really, it's going to take a little bit more time to understand this than any other quick, free speed gimmick that you can put on your bike. But it is definitely well worth the investment in understanding how it works properly and taking your time to go through these steps so you can have the best start possible when it comes to this ride that you're now on. First up though, I do have a disclaimer and because it's power meter stuff, definitely most of this stuff is heavily based on Hunter Allen and Dr. Andy Coggins' work. You cannot go past the work that they've done. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. They deserve full credit for the majority of what's now common training knowledge regarding training and racing with the power meter and I don't want to take anything away from them. So firstly, full credit to them for most of the stuff that's in this episode. Of course, there's going to be a little bit of my spin on it and some of my experience that I've found over the time working with athletes and power. So step one, ride. I know you want to go out and play with your toy and you want to get stuck into the numbers and start figuring out all this fun stuff, but I just like to get athletes to ride with a power meter. Don't do anything different to training or anything else. Just get out and ride. Download every single ride. But the other part that I add to this is record your RPE or your rate of perceived exertion for a few rides over this period. Every ride is definitely super important when it comes to downloading and understanding your power, but you don't want to get distracted by the numbers when you're first going out and doing it. It is possible to just take that head unit and stick it in your pocket. Some people would call you crazy, and I'd say that there is some benefit to this, or even just turning off the power display when you're riding and you can't see it while you're riding. I definitely think that there are negatives to this as well, so just stick it on your bike and leave it there and try and understand what 200 watts feels like or what 300 watts feels like or what you're pushing out on your favorite routes and your training rides just as an average and just get a bit of an understanding for that. But when we're talking about getting a feel for things, the real feel that I want to try and get into somebody in the first time they're using a power meter is what their RPE is, their rate of perceived exertion for different types of rides. Because one of the difficulties with this is that it's really hard to replicate RPE with a high variability in your output during a ride. So if you're going up and down and changing it a lot, it's really hard to replicate that at a later date. So you want to choose rides here that have a steady component to it. And so you can learn about your power output and how it relates directly to your RPE. You won't be able to do that right now, but this is why you have to record it and look at it later. So you can pick rides like long endurance rides or an hour of power that you may go on or any races that you do regularly. So your local crit, for example, on the same course every week. And what you want to do is record your RPE for those rides after they happen. So how did you feel? And we will revisit this later, but it's a very important step in not letting power take over everything you do on the bike. Because the reason you really want to do this is some riders really become a slave to numbers and you don't want to be froom-dogging it, especially in races where you have to whiplash your neck up just to look because you're so focused on your power numbers. But if you use it wisely and you don't let it get into your head, then you can avoid your power meter becoming your worst enemy and psyching you out rather than actually building you up, which it can be used for. So this is why you want to learn to feel out your efforts internally as well as learning to use a power meter and how they relate together.
So the other part of this is to get a good understanding of how many watts you do in different situations. Like I just spoke about, getting an understanding for what happens in your area where you're riding and rides you've done forever. The cool thing about this, it's kind of like when you ride a fixie for the first time, you just want to go out and do things that you've always done because it adds a new dimension to it. It changes an old ride into a new one all over again. So embrace this and take this along with you and get some data down, which we can look at later. But outside of those two things, it's not just the power that we're interested here in because the data will also tell you how much time you spend in certain training zones under your current training regime and whether you need to change that or not. It'll also tell you your natural cadence and where you sit at certain power zones, your workload in kilojoules, so you know when you blew up and what you could change for next time. All these other things that you will slowly start to learn about yourself. And if you cover these basics now, that will be easier for you to interpret the data once you have it in front of you. So the action step here is to ride with your power meter for two weeks, I'd say at minimum, and mark down on your training software or even on just a piece of paper, your RPE on the 1 to 10 or 6 to 20 scale after each ride to visit this later on. Step two here is test. And before you can start doing any intervals or pacing with your power meter, you have to make a test of your physical performance to understand the power readout in real time on your bike. So testing will help you be conclusive about what your starting point is. It'll give you a real indicator of your starting point so you cannot lie to yourself or your mates anymore, not that you're going to be revealing your power numbers when you have them. And also, it'll provide you with clear goals and targets to reevaluate once you get rolling with power and you start to do testing over time. This will give you your starting point so you can see if you're actually making performance gains. And it also answers the question of what can you produce and for how long, which is part of this whole thing of having a power meter in the first place. Because this really is the question we're trying to answer when you have a power meter and you're linking it to training. So the first thing to test for definitely is the functional threshold power. And the FTP is thrown around a lot. So whether you have had a power meter for a long time or not, you have probably heard of FTP. It relates to a whole bunch of other names that it's called. The main one being lactate threshold or lactate heart rate threshold. And what it basically comes down to, it's the maximum amount of watts that you can produce for one hour without fatigue. And this is the simplest way to look at and gauge someone's cycling ability because cycling inherently is an aerobic sport for pretty much all of the disciplines within cycling. There is only, I'd say, track sprinting just track sprinting like a flying 200 or whatever that doesn't rely on some type of FTP. But outside of that, and even for those riders that are doing that event, you still need some aerobic capacity in order to do other types of events. And especially things like if you are a road sprinter, for example, you need to get to the end of the race to have a chance to sprint in the first place. So it's important in that regard. So that's why it's seen as the gold standard or the 
the one number that everybody throws around a lot. And it's not just that number itself. It's your actual watts per kilogram, which you will work out from that number. But there's no need to go into that right now. Just know that the FTP is the main number that you need. And really, everything else you don't necessarily need. But we'll get into why it's kind of cool to test other areas of your cycling as well. So the simplest way to test and the most effective for our purposes is just by doing a 20-minute all-out time trial. The 20-minute power is a really solid physiological snapshot of what you could sustain for longer periods, namely this magic 60-minute mark. So I like testing this at the same time as a 5-minute all-out effort, so doing the 5-minute one beforehand, because then it really makes a 60-minute estimation gathered from the 20-minute test more realistic. And because it's an estimation that we're trying to pull out of this 20-minute thing, there's a lot of factors that can change it. So the athlete's ability, age, strengths and weaknesses, most can sustain around 90 to 95%. And the most popular is just to grab your power that you put out for 20 minutes, grab 95% of that, and then that becomes your FTP. On a bit of a side note, I generally find that the five-minute test that we do on the same day as a 20-minute test is not as high as a standalone five-minute test, but it is a good data point to have. At a later time, you can test five-minute on its own to get that because it is important when you're putting it into the whole system. So I'm not going to get too far into testing, but it's really difficult when you don't have an FTP down how to find a marker or some mental gauge to kind of base your effort on when you are doing a 20-minute all-out test. Because when you're starting out, it's really hard to gauge the effort that you need to do for that entire 20-minute block. And I try to give a range to the athletes I work with or an understanding of where they may be sitting so they don't get too disappointed if it's not where they are or they don't get too excited and and then blow too early. But I really believe that it's more important to teach an athlete how to feel the effort. Like I said, with RPE, it really comes into it and feeling the effort and concentrating on going as hard as possible is really the most important thing to get from this and getting every ounce of energy out of your body during the test is an art form in itself and this alone takes training so after the first test if it's not where you thought you were don't be disappointed on two accounts don't be disappointed because you may have tested badly on a couple of accounts but the main one being that you're just not used to the actual testing itself so don't be too hard on yourself There are other indicators during training that you can look at to see what your real FTP is without having to do another test, but just know that you could do another test in four weeks' time and and you will definitely be a little better for the actual experience rather than just because your fitness has got better over those four weeks. But it's definitely a great mental exercise and can really highlight physiological preparedness for hard efforts and racing. So basically what I am saying here, though, is that It is really, really hard. So be ready for it mentally on the day. And when I'm talking about other times that you can test, you can do a full spectrum of tests here and get lots and lots of data so you know about your limits. You can cherry pick from previous data from hard group rides or races or training climbs or any efforts that were really hard and you were putting it in. If you choose these, it can help identify ballpark wattages and so it gives you some understanding, but it's not the same as going flat out for a certain time period. 
And it also is really difficult when you're just starting out because you won't have this spectrum. You won't have a whole bunch of race data or ride data, and it, it's hard to cherry pick here. So I'd really just recommend skipping this for now and going straight for the pain cave and more testing. The cool thing is coming up soon, there should be the ability in software to give us these figures without testing, which is really great news for those people that hate testing. But I'm sure it's great news for everybody because you can see at any time during your training where you're sitting and if things are, and you can manage map out your actual growth in any zone that you're trying to train. The other time zones, though, are five seconds, one minute, and five minute. They're basically the minimum plus the 20 minute, which gives you the FTP to get a picture for power profiling, which I'll go into in a couple of steps. And there are definitely different protocols for each of these, but basically you just want to have a really, really solid warm-up and then go flat out for these different time periods. The thing here is, though, you have to remember exactly what you did because you're going to be testing these at different intervals over a season, so make sure you can repeat this every single time. And definitely my final note here is that regarding testing, going into a lab and doing a VO max test really has no merit or worth when it comes to your testing. It's only valuable if you are, say, in your teens and you're looking at potential for your VO2 max. But VO2 max itself is not a great indicator of performance because it tops out at a certain level and then other factors start to come into it because it's not VO2 max alone that predicts your ultimate performance in cycling, especially when you're dealing with guys and girls that have been training for 10 years plus developing other areas while their VO2 max has just leveled out over that time. So step three is setting your power training level. So depending on how long you have been training, you would have come across heart rate levels before this point. And so that's just a matter of getting your maximum heart rate and then breaking down levels based on a percentage of that. So you can sit in those zones when you're doing training. And that's what training is. It's eliciting a response at certain levels, depending on where your strengths and weaknesses are, and depending on what your race or event demands are. So now that you have the data from the testing that you know what you can produce and for how long you can produce it, the next step is to use this data to work out where to train. And the training levels that I use are based off the percentage of your FTP, and they were developed by Dr. Andy Coggan. And this step, while it's really straightforward and simple, and it's just a matter of plugging in some numbers into a spreadsheet or some software, you really want to get a feel for what these numbers represent. And you'll be seeing a lot more of them in your training. And there are seven levels. I really won't get into them now. It's better if you just take some time and get to understand them. But understand that it's really just a representation of percentages and you can blur the lines between them, which is a concept that's really important to understand. These levels do represent the real world capabilities of you as a rider out there and what you actually can produce, but they are not set in stone and are a little flexible when it comes to their application. You can push past these ranges, but it's more about understanding how to train each one and the system that underlines each of these levels separately so that you can build certain areas where you want to based on your desired outcome or goal. So there will always be some element of blending these zones in training, but just try to understand that you want to get an adaption from training in these zones or you need to modify them or your training if you're not actually getting the adaption you want. A final note in step three is that you can choose to have these zones show up on your computer, which you may or may not know about, but it really does make calculating things out on the road so much easier than actually trying to think about what your zones are and what 
number you have to watch out for or what range of numbers you have to watch out for when you're smacking it out on the bike. Step four here is power profiling. And this really was one of the great additions to training and measuring a cyclist. And really Hunter Allen and Dr. Andy Coggan really deserve a lot of praise for putting this together because it's something as a coach that I look forward to doing with athletes, but it's something as athletes themselves really look forward to, to help them understand themselves better and to help them watch their progress over time to see the improvements in a tangible sense. So this is one of the most exciting and liberating parts of the process, and it's all about finding your strengths and weaknesses. And it's really a great step towards working towards a training plan. And the basic overview of power profiling is you you have your watts per kilo per the four time zones, which are five seconds, one minute, five minutes, and 60 minutes. And they just go onto a chart, and that chart has been worked out from the top to the bottom from world-class athletes to non-trained athletes. And you just simply plug your number in, and you know where you sit in comparison to other Cat 1, 2, or 3 riders that you're competing against on average so they've just plucked all this information from all these different athletes. So it's an easy way to compare yourself and see where you are for those different zones. It's not the complete picture, though, because you need to understand the specific demands of your event. And it really starts to get a little tricky when you're trying to figure all this out, though. So it doesn't stand alone. There are other elements that help you set up your training and understand where you should spend your time. But I won't go into that right now because you need to take the findings from your testing data and look at your season-long goals or even your upcoming goals and begin to focus on the steps needed to accomplish those. And this is just one part of that process. But depending on how long you've been riding, you'll have a feeling of what type of rider you are. And a power profile can help you to support this or to disprove this, which is really good. But the thing about what your training age is and how long you have been riding is you may have not developed certain parts of you. So you don't know whether you are a sprinter or a time trialist just from looking at your first power profile. It may take some time to develop each zone that's in the power profile to get a real understanding of what your limits are. It's pretty easy to find this chart on the web if you just search for Power Profile FTP or Power Profile Andy Coggan or whatever. It's really easy just to find this so you can make the comparison. Also, you can do it in certain training packages as well where it will automatically do it for you and it makes it easier for you to track it over time. So step five and the final step is wattage-based training. So now is when you have everything in place that you can start to produce a training program. But before you really get to that point, you have to take on board the idea of training with power and start bringing your ideas of training forward into the new power-based world that you'll be dealing with. So it's not just about letting your power meter and using wattage to guide you where you will want to change your intervals to wattage-based ones rather than heart rate-based ones or RPE-based ones, but you also want to use the data to look at your training as a whole. And things like understanding training in the certain levels and for example, if you're training in levels one to three, then you want to look at your average power over the entire ride because you don't have to focus on a very small range here because it's not as important. But when you get to levels four to seven, this is where focusing and training specifically in those levels becomes very important because that is where the adaption is made. And once you start getting to four and above, the training becomes quite difficult mentally to stay there. And so it gives you a bit of help and motivation to stay in the precise zone 
known that's going to give you the training adaption. But when you are talking about numbers, you're really trying to at this point, understand the whole system laid out by Hunter and Andy. And this takes time to learn and even more time to get right. And power meters, while they are superb tools, you need to be able to understand the data to make the most of it. This is also a good time to go back and revisit those RPE levels that you put down for step one, because now you have all the data there where you can compare, were you on track when you went out for an endurance ride? Was it really sitting in an endurance zone or was it higher or lower? And match that number. And so you can see where your feel is and how good you are at guessing where your body is sitting and whether you need to adjust that or not. And you can start putting a plan in place to consciously work on this. So there's five steps to get you started. And while I did go back to basics for a lot of this, hopefully it gives you a really clear picture of the process that you should take once you get that power meter and to get you up and running, or at least to the point of how to write the training program. I'm going to leave you with this one final piece of advice here, because I want you to understand that a power meter works for you. You don't work for the power meter. So there is no point getting emotional over the numbers. If you were going out and you wanted to lift weights, for example, if you couldn't lift the weight that you wanted, you wouldn't just walk away and cry about it. You would go back to the weight, adjust it to something you can lift, and get in the best workout that you can for that day. And the same thing applies when you're out on the bike. If you can't hit numbers, if they're not detrimental, if there's only a few percentage points off where you want to be, then the effort is what counts. So sit there and do the effort at that wattage. Don't stuff around and give up and go home. It's the effort that you put in every single time you get on the bike that makes the difference. Not hitting a prescribed number exactly because if you don't hit it exactly, you can still get a workout in. Plus, it gives you an opportunity to go back, revisit the data and figure out what's happening. Are you fatigued? Is there some way that you can eliminate this? Or or understand exactly what happened leading up to this point so you can stop it from happening again. So I will be taking a comprehensive look at training and racing with a power meter in Wheelhouse. Over the next few months, I'm going to be looking at how to get started with a power-based training plan and how to do power analysis and interpretations of your training to get the most out of your power meter. As far as getting the most out of your power meter, this is really where you start to separate yourself from the pack. It's with the knowledge of how to use a power meter that most riders don't take the time out to learn. And this is coupled with most riders feeling like they have only really just scratched the surface of what a power meter can do to help them. And I can definitely help out with this in Wheelhouse. You can sign up to Wheelhouse for a free basic membership. And this won't give you full access to Wheelhouse, but it does include the masterclass Building the Base, which is a step-by-step guide to achieving your cycling goals, which for me really is fundamental. It's based on my three-goal system and the semi-pro performance framework, which sets the base for all of this, for your training, for your season, for everything that you want to do in cycling, it sets the base for. So you can sign up for this in the email box on the right-hand side of this page where this podcast will live, which is at semiprocycling.com forward slash power. So the tech hacks and products section this week and hat tip to Dustin again in the weekly call, he came up with a beauty. When you're riding a crit or some race that requires skills, turn the speed off your computer. 
Take it off the screen that you're going to be looking at because if you are freaking out every time you hit a certain speed around a certain corner and you're thinking of the consequences too much, just get rid of that whole element. It allows you to focus attention where it counts. It allows you not to get freaked out and put the focus where it should be, which is maintaining the speed in the corner, maintaining your position in a bunch and gets you around that corner faster than looking down and freaking out, putting on the brakes when you don't need to. There is no reason to look down at your computer and this gives you even less reasons to look down at your computer. Plus, it's safer for you and everybody around you. So a really quick one today, but definitely I appreciate Dustin sharing this with me and I wanted to share it with you because I think it is a really smart idea. If you're having trouble in crits or any other skill-based racing or riding and you're letting the number, the speed number, get to you, this can help you focus on what's important, which is learning the skill to get around that corner, not the speed that you're actually doing that corner at. And now that quote from the top of the show, it's Edwin von Vucht. I know I have butchered that name, but he is Belkin's innovation manager. And here he's talking about the pioneer power meter. I don't know if they just have a strategic corporate relationship to develop the actual power meter and then they'll take it to market to try and sell it or whatever. But they're talking a big game in regards to this power meter. And that's what he was talking about at the start where it has so much information that you're looking down at it rather than the road ahead of you, which just like the tech hacks and products section there is no need to look down too often because as soon as you start from doing it for speed power or heart rate or any other metric the race has already been lost but that's it from me this week you have been listening to the semi-pro performance podcast remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash power to get your free basic membership to wheelhouse and your free masterclass building the base but till next week get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box whichever one you're into (laughs) 